one. And we are recording with the one and only Miss Mitzi Purdue for episode 851 on Monday, June 27th, 2022 at 4.09 p.m. Eastern time. Miss Purdue, how are you doing? Well, basically, really, really good. I had COVID maybe five days ago. And using the protocols that I got from you uh, of hydroxychloroquine and zinc and vitamin D, it lasted about one day. And I feel great. And and that's what I got banned from YouTube for. I, the, you know, the, the icky, awful thing is we can never know how it would have been, how my COVID would have been if I hadn't taken the protocol. Yeah, it's, it's just icky that, that we don't know. But we do know that I'm 81 and that uh, at 81, it's supposed to hit you pretty hard. And it didn't. And yeah. I'm, I'm going to give credit to pretty much the hour that I tested positive. Uh, I got the protocol and within a day, I was doing pretty well. And that, by the way, went from a fever of 101.7 and horrible cough. Uh, too tired to get out of bed, you know, the next day I'm better. So something good was going on. And it also kind of starts to, it in, you know, my mom had COVID like a month ago. My mom's 63. Uh, my aunts and uncles have had it and they've all been on the same protocol from Dr. McCullough, Dr. Fareed, using all the same things, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, vitamin D, zinc, turmeric, and quercetin. And all of the above. Yeah, yeah, I take them all. And they've all, to a T, not only lived, but gotten better in 48 hours. I mean, I mean, like back to yard work. And it moves from this like theoretical thing where we talk about the evils of censorship and the evils of collusion between big pharma, big tech, and the US government. And then you start to see it in very real human terms because i don't think twice about how my mom had covid oh yeah it's just a thing i don't even remember what it was was it one month ago was it two months two months ago there's over a million people who now it's yeah no they died they couldn't gone just gone well the the thing is i can't i can't know what would have happened to me oh sure no sure we don't know maybe you would have gotten better in a day anyway i mean obviously yeah on the other hand from feeling i mean when when i took the test and there was that really bright purple line that says you've got it. That day, I, I genuinely felt pretty bad. I mean, I didn't want to get out of bed. I, my chest was tight. Pain. Yeah, just the whole, the whole works. Oh, and complete loss of smell. Um, but by the next day, I was out of bed, showered, getting dressed. Not uh, still tired, but I, was, I wasn't sick the way I was sick the day before. Mm-hmm. So something changed just remarkably. Well, again, is sure if, you know, like you said, I mean, we don't know what would have happened if you didn't, maybe you would have been fine. But when I look at it happening to you, my mom, aunts and uncles, it starts to get, you have to start looking at what's the probability of what if they all have just been fine or is there a correlation between all of them in their 60s and 70s? getting better 80s getting better in two days and that to me is like the very real 
a lot of people died and not because you're spreading misinformation, but the opposite. It, it is not an exaggerated or hyperbolic statement to say this censorship of early treatment protocols resulted in hundreds of thousands of deaths. Like that's not, like that's not a light statement and yet it's true. I, okay. Again, I can't know, but I can tell you the subjective feeling from feeling really sick, the kind of sick where under normal circumstances, you feel that sick. You're probably in bed for several days uh-huh. and to feel other than tired, feel symptom free within, it felt like it was 24 hours in 24 hours, no fever, still a little bit of cough, but just, I, I, I wasn't sick while I was the day before. So I, I guess for, oh, I'm afraid this is boring to everybody. No, I don't, no, 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 keep going. Okay. But my subjective feeling is that I was getting better really unexpectedly fast. That's, that's how it felt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, I, had... I was afraid, I was afraid that, you know, maybe it's my imagination. Maybe I'm not getting better. You know, maybe later on in the day, I'll feel lousy again, but I didn't. Yeah. No, it was just, it was a good experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the medication was a good experience. Yeah. But even then it's, I mean, it is evil that in 2022, in 2022 in the United States, people are getting COVID and reaching out to me and saying, can you send me the links that those doctors gave you? That should not be the case. That should not be the case that people's first reaction, or let's say, because it's happened more times than I, than I, and I actually even don't know what all is legally actionable. So I won't say who and how many times I've done this, but the case okay, that, and I didn't get it from you, Tommy. I got it from Dr. Fareed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, I know. No, no, I know that. No, no one's getting anything from me. No, God, no, I'm not writing prescriptions. <laughs> but the fact that people's immediate response is, I know there's one way I can get it. I can email this guy that has a podcast that he does out of his, out of his bedroom. That's, that's dystopian. Because although it's good and I'm glad to help people and with a hundred percent success rate, every person I've helped, they've gotten better immediately. When I say I've helped put them in touch with the doctors that get them help. All jokes aside, that that's not good. You, you should be going to the guy in the white coat in the hospital. But the fact that people know instinctively that when it does happen, that they can't trust anything. That's not good that they're coming to me like that. That's not as flattering as it is and as much as I'm happy to help that's that should not be the case you should not have to email a dude whose podcast you found on rumble like that's especially in the United States maybe in like a third world country you'd you'd know a guy that knows a guy that can get you some vitamin d but that's pretty that's short of being again exaggerating but that's pure evil you got you got to go off the main social media platforms and hey, there's this guy and he interviewed this guy. Yeah, no, 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 they have this stuff and oh yeah, no, you can get a prescription. No, what is it? Oh, it's a, it's a generic. It's cost pennies on the dollar. You get better immediately. Isn't this the thing that's killed a million Americans? Yeah, no, no, but you can get better immediately. But the FDA and the CDC, yeah, no, those are captured institutions. Like this is genuinely evil. You know, you were talking about a couple of podcasts ago. Uh, who was the guy whom I absolutely love now who have a million times more, but he was talking about socialism and concentration of power. Um, it was like two or three ago. And uh, 
One of the things that, that you both were agreeing on is uh, people too often say, yeah, Russia's, Russia socialism was bad. Uh, Nazi socialism was bad. Nick but, Hudson? Yeah. Is that him, Nick Hudson? Okay, yeah. sorry. All right. Uh, but I was thinking as I was listening to him, you were discussing how kids today say, well, real socialism hasn't been tried. Um, yeah, these were just aberrations, Pol Pot, Mao, um, and National Socialism and, and Hitler. But I was thinking that how about it's 100% inevitable that they end up killing people because of the people who rise to the top under socialism, the, the, you, you, you get to the top by being nasty uh, under socialism. Uh, you know who who you who you bribe, who you threaten, who you. Uh, I, mean, you I don't think anybody gets for large scale socialism of the sort of of Mao or or Stalin, or right now I think. Well, she. You don't allow dissenting opinions. You only get there by kind of almost like brute force, and that means that you can't allow dissenting opinions. And that led me to think we're on our way. Mm-hmm. We're on our way where dissenting opinions aren't allowed. Well, again, uh, that's that's kind of why I'm so radical in that, you know, it's freaking out over over the, the suspensions on YouTube about election fraud and COVID. And I said it then. You can go back and find the episodes, the early 400s, late 300s, that it wasn't necessarily about the elections or COVID, even though, as we're now talking about with early treatment, those are also real reasons to be mad. But rather, this is how it starts. And when you say that, people roll their eyes and they're like, all right, hey, hey, sucks to suck, dude. You know, you know, cope and see if you got kicked off YouTube. You're not living in a concert. No, I know that. The point is, is kill it now before it's it's in the crib socialism in america is in the in the crib and it's a little demonic baby with horns smother it now and i'm going look at look at it it's going to grow up and it's going to be 12 feet tall and have wings and breathe fire and we're like, all right buddy you know why do you want to kill the baby i'm like kill the baby kill it now and of course somebody's going to take that out of context but you know what okay, i'm saying you, you and jordan peterson because you're you're familiar with jordan peterson mm-hmm. at least a bit but for those who aren't, uh, I, I think he's among the biggest bo- boogeymen of the left. And how did he get his start? How did he become globally famous? How does how has he sold tens of millions of books? Uh, he got his start because he refused to go along in Canada with required pronouns. He didn't want forced speech. And, and his premise was, that's where it all starts. If, if, if you don't kill that baby in its crib, uh, you get full-on repression. Well, so, starts, so you and Jordan Peterson, sir. Well, it starts as, it starts as well, first you start on the peripheries. You use highly controversial things that not only do people not really care if you censor them about, they might even subconsciously agree with your, their censorship, right? That's why you start with wildly controversial figures like Alex Jones questioning Sandy Hook. And people go, 
you, know, you probably shouldn't allow the guy to be on harassing parents. And I get it. I mean, I get it. I'm like, yeah, I'm, you know. And then you start with like Milo Yiannopoulos talking about. Well, I absolutely about. adore. What's happened to him? You banned from everything in, I think, 2018. You go, okay. You know, he was talking about how he was like molested as a child and how it ended up being a positive experience. Okay. I could see, you know, again, I can see my rational mind goes, yeah, I get where you maybe want to get rid of that. But it starts with, well, what's really happened is now there, it's not that they've made it so that you are okay with banning people who discuss school shootings or being molested as a child. What you're now doing is normalizing some people get banned, just some people, only the worst. And then very quickly to the point where they removed the sitting president and half the country cheered. And now I haven't been on YouTube in almost a year. I just finished an interview with another guy who said that, no, there's a new thing you can't talk about on YouTube. And it, it's something to do with like the, like the, like the, like Ukrainian, like Azov battalion or something. You can't talk about it. And so we're starting to see this creep and it, it starts with, so now we're moving in to shift the Overton window to where it is okay to ban people. Okay. And then you go election fraud. Okay. And then you go COVID. People are dying. Okay. You're moving it farther and farther in. And now what you're doing is there are people who outright get banned. And then there are people who stay on YouTube and they just voluntarily don't talk about those things. So you are now changing people, which is the ultimate censorship is to get them to self-censor. And what is self-censoring? Self-censoring is you are actively rewiring your brain to go, we don't talk about that. We do talk about when I leave my apartment, I make sure I have pants on that. My brain is wired that way because bad things will happen if I don't. But now you go, we just won't talk about that. We won't talk about that. And you're slowly normalizing where at first it was pearl clutching. They banned Alex Jones, a violation of free speech. Five short years later, it's we can't talk about that. You can't talk about that. I've done podcasts on, on I've been on podcasts that are on YouTube and they'll tell me beforehand, they'll be like, and, uh, you know, just quick rules. You know, we don't cuss a lot. I'm like, yeah, sure. And they're like, and uh, no ban topics. And I'm like, what are you talking? And sure, I'll go along with you. It's your show, but I don't have any respect for you. I mean, grow some balls. But we're moving in closer and closer to where you are now rewiring your brain to we don't talk about that. Well, now you have started to bifurcate your brain. You've compartmentalized it into bad, acceptable. That alone is insane. It's not what is bad and what is acceptable. It's you have now bifurcated what you can talk about and how you think. And when you start thinking differently and you are the neuroplasticity of your mind, you are wiring yourself differently. You start acting differently. And you are now acting in this three-dimensional, four-dimensional reality. You are now interacting with reality differently. You are now reflexively, maybe you don't, bring it up on YouTube, maybe you also don't bring it up at a bar because you don't know what other people are thinking and you start acting differently. And as you start acting differently, it is now coming into the physical world, which started as just words, just the the, the expansion and collapsing of, of waves through the particles in the air has now moved into the physical reality, what you are willing to talk. And then it moves to, well, I don't want to show up at that trucker protest. Well, I don't want to do this. Well, I don't want to do that. And all the while you, and then once we have now, once we're years into accepting that people get banned on YouTube, how long is it until we accept that bank accounts get frozen, which we saw earlier this year in, in, in Toronto or where the hell it was. And then how long, because what is it now moving from the audio 
into the reality how long until there will be the first person arrested it'll be the alex jones and it'll be a big shocker well how about it's j6 january 6th but we're seeing all these things to now where we're moving from youtube labels to actual armed enforcers of the state and then what by the time as as yuri bezmanov said by the time you realize it will be when the boot hits you in your fat american butt and the gates of the gulag close behind you everyone dies and then someone some dipshit 20 years later will go well that wasn't real socialism that was american socialism and the system repeats again <laughs> and again but there's there's not a guarantee that there will be another america to rise and an america this powerful that is why i'm so admittedly dramatic and hyperbolic about it it creeps in until all of a sudden cuz now now try fighting censorship yeah dude people censor it's a private company get over it 5 years ago Everyone said, no, that's bad. It's not that far off until we go, hey, if you didn't want the SWAT team breaking down your door, you shouldn't have posted that video about COVID. And then by the time you realize it, it's like that saying goes, you vote yourself into socialism, you shoot yourself out. That's how it starts. So, and now let's say none of it comes to pass. What is the price I pay? People look back and go, hey, remember when you thought that socialism was coming to the United States? And you know where I go? I go, yeah, egg on my face. I was a jacket. Just like I look back at pictures of me in high school and I go, God, that guy was an asshole. I'll look back at me and go, yeah, that's self-righteous. He he thought he knew what was going on. What is the price if I don't do anything? A hundred million dead. So that's why I'm going to go worse than that. I'm, I'm thinking the fall of Rome. I was, I was just reading, there's, uh, or listening to a YouTuber. I don't know if you've come across Peter Zion, but he was pointing out that when Rome fell, that it took 60 generations for the world to get back to a similar, or at least for Europe to get back to a similar economic level. 60 generations, 1500 years. I mean, do we want... What, what we're fighting for right now is, I think, the next 60 generations. Best case scenario. Who's to say that another America rises? I mean, like all hard work and all success, every famous artist or athlete will tell you they, the, the worst part about it all is that there was a, an aspect of luck involved. And it's kind of like blackpilling because you go, man, even though I was the hardest worker in the room, it was also it might not have happened if I hadn't sat next to that guy on the plane. And, you know, he turns out he's a record label owner. There was also a lot of luck to the United States. Like uh, Dr. Federer has been on here talking about it. And uh, he's come out a couple of times talking about socialism. He has a book on socialism and he goes, it's not a guarantee that like another America rises. Like it was, it was kind of a fluke. It was kind of a fluke that, a bunch of a bunch of guys with wooden teeth and powdered wig and muskets fought off the British, and at that same time, France just so happened, and maybe I'm butchering my history, hated Britain, so they came and helped us. And it also just so happened to be on a landmass that had two oceans on either side and an Arctic tundra above, in a time period where there weren't planes to easily traverse it, so you couldn't necessarily just go and conquer. And we had this giant place where you could escape inland and that had a ton of natural resources. And then the guys that did win that war in that fluke for the first time ever decided, hey, let's have 
self-rule where we all vote for this stuff. That was all the planets aligning. So the idea of 60 generations, best case. Yeah, best I, case. I guess look at it. At the, and by the way, uh, I think if like if we were missing two of the founding fathers, I don't think we'd get as far as we did. Oh. I think we needed them all. It, 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 it's not just that like, oh, it's a good thing. It, it's taking all of the cards in a deck and throwing them into the air. And then they landed in order. And people going, well, I don't want to knock over the poker table because, you know, it's going to take another couple hours before that. That will never happen again. <laughs> like, so, so when you look at it in that frame, there's two ways to go about it. Or there's really one way you look at the two outcomes. I'd rather exaggerate, get banned from YouTube and scream until my face turns red. And if it doesn't happen, yeah, I'll be embarrassed. And I'll be like, yeah, you know, I was wrong. I'd rather that be the cost then go, huh, it was a fall room. Maybe I should have spoke up. That's that's kind of my logic. I think, I mean, the way, the way it appears to me right now is I look around the world and say, oh, I, I'm totally addicted to news. Uh, I, I, I talk with friends. Is it like Pearl Harbor or is it more like Normandy Beach, except that we don't know that it's going to turn out right? Where are you on that on that on that scale? Uh, Normandy Beach? Yeah, I think we're there. I think we're it's a huge gamble and a huge sacrifice, but it still might work. That's kind of where I am. Is like we're far past the preventative stage. Like it's it's creeped in already with censorship. But I, I, we're not so far along that the only way out is an AK and a face mask. I still think that the, the, there's still a big quote-unquote cost. But right now the cost is it's limited to being a social outcast, being ostracized, being made fun of, having to go on the alternative platforms, getting shadow banned. So it can still be done. But not only that, there's got to be some really good feeling knowing that you're on the side of the angels and a lot of people are listening to you who agree with you and that some of the best guests on the whole internet come and talk with you. I mean, there there's some rewards for this. Oh, you sleep like a baby. Yeah. You're good. I mean, your 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 soul is clean. And you know where you like you know where you I'm wrong on a lot of things, but I I have no I have no hesitation and not a moment even rethinking anything yeah what i know that hey censorship is objectively it is never once never once have the good guys censored never yeah. once it's right. not that it, it wasn't real socialism and everyone died it has never started with it was just a little bit of censorship it's not it's never happened so yeah you sleep like a baby you know it's good by the way i want to interrupt and pull sure. rank on you because uh, sure. i'm 50 years older than you Oh, uh, I decided maybe sometime around your age that the most important thing to me in my life was self-respect. If, if you don't have that, you ain't got nothing. And so if you, if, if it takes some costs to keep your self-respect, do it. 
Well, yeah, it's. I mean, that was like another reason I got banned from YouTube was not only the whole socialism fall of Rome thing, but I was also just like, if I started like curtailing what I said, I mean, I I I, I kind of wanted to beat myself up because for like a couple episodes after my first like one week suspension. I would kind of bite my tongue or I'd feel the conversation going one way and I'd start to push it another. And I remember for like a couple of days, I, like I couldn't escape it. Like an inner voice was just like, what are you doing? Like you bitch. And I just try to put it out of my, well, I got to stay on YouTube. I got to grow the podcast. But I just couldn't. It was just always just right there. Just like, you know what you are. You Like you can't even you can't even say the wrong words on YouTube. Like, what are you? And yeah, that was probably the biggest driver. I was like, I can't really even like look in the mirror. Like I just, it's just a personal thing. Like I, yeah, it still feels icky. But really, what is more important than self-respect? Because that's your identity. That's who you are. That's what makes you tick. And And if you give that up, you're nothing. I mean, it kind of like, it almost kind of brings weight to the idea of like selling your soul to the devil. Like, I don't think, you know, all the blues singers, you know, I'd sold my soul to become a, I don't actually think that they, you know, they had a bunch of candles and a pentagram and gave their ethereal being to Moloch or something. Maybe they did. I don't know. I don't think it's that. I think it's more the idea of like, remove self, remove self-respect, become a hollow vessel. And when you do that, it's like uh, it's like how psychopaths rise to the top of the system because they don't care. Everything is a pawn. There's no, you know, a psychopath would go stay on YouTube because it's still profitable to stay on YouTube. And when the time comes to go to Rumble, you would go to Rumble because it would be a good PR thing. There would be no, well, what do I think is right? And that's why psychopaths rise. And, that, and that's a whole other podcast for another time is, is nature selecting for psychopaths. but if you can like hollow out i'm not going to say nature i'm not going to say or not say that nature selects for psychopaths but i'm pretty sure socialism suspect uh uh, selects for psychopaths oh i I think human nature in general does i think capitalism does i think i don't think in the same degree because uh like like stalin you know to stay in power he had to create sure eliminates his his competition. I, I don't think in the democratic system that a person with that kind of personality gets rewarded. Yeah. I, I, At I, least I, not on that scale or with that much power. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, a, a pure psychopath doesn't rise to the top of business because you want to make the most money and making the most money, even if you're a psychopath might mean making people happy by giving them a cheap product. So yeah, that's the versus Versus like a like a yeah a, a backwater dictatorship where the only thing that matters is the raw pursuit of power. Yeah, but really, North Korea is not trying to like put affordable microwaves in apartments. It is, it is tanks, it is bullets, it is rounding up family members and shooting them in the back of the head. It's a raw pursuit of power. In which case, it selects for being a psychopath. But the point is, selling your soul. Yeah, I mean, if you if you hollowed yourself out, 
it just became a vessel. Yeah, I mean, if I really wanted to climb as fast as I could, I would get, I would shave my, I would shave my head. I'd have like a mohawk. I'd dye it, I'd dye it blue. I'd have like three nose rings. I would start, uh, I'd start transitioning. I'd start taking hormones. I'd take down this flag for sure. I'd put the 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 BLM LGBTQ with a picture of Shay. I would rescind all past episodes I've done. I would burn all bridges, and I would only, uh, I, I, I would, I would. I would ambush journalism, Dr. McCullough and Dr. Malone. I'd bring them on here and attack them. I'd do the same to you. You're a white woman. I would attack you guys for oh, medical. No, but mis- I identify as black. Well, no, the, the, well, I will out oppress you. I will. I'm. I'm black and I'm in a wheelchair. And I would. I would rise out and I would be. I, I would only. I would use my ability to reach people and only interview people who were just screaming harpies about like the Second Amendment. That's all I'd do. And, and you would rise. I would, if I took my work ethic with that, I'd be at the top. But I would also probably, the only way I'd be able to sleep at night is like a handful, handful of Xanax and a bottle of liquor, which would result in my death. So like, it's, it's a trade-off. So no, I don't think there is anything more important than self-respect because what was the point? Because, yeah, what what is the not point? only that is you're replaceable. They can remove me and get the next guy willing to dye his hair blue and put a BLM flag behind him and start screaming about the white male pa- uh, patriarchy. So you have no staying power either. Yeah. So what's the point? The other thing is everybody that I've known who grew up under socialism says that you you, don't, you never have a happy day. Because you're always worried that, you know, somebody's going to turn you in or your kids are going to say the wrong thing at school or you or it's you against the state. You don't have your, I don't know, your church is a buffer. It's just you helpless against the state. Yeah. And feels to me as if not enough people realize how absolutely evil a regime is that that can kill millions of its citizens. Yeah, I mean, whenever you want to make something look bad, you compare it to the Nazis, right? Who were evil? Killed, what, 6 million Jews, 6 million more, Sinti, Roma, homosexuals, gypsies, 12 million in the the death camps. It's just excluding war. But they were pikers. But so 12 mil, right? I don't know what that means. Pikers? Oh, just not very good at it. Amateurs. No, no, they weren't. Yeah. 12 million. A a step forward towards ultimate evil, but they've they've been topped. Well, that's what I mean. So we're always comparing things to Hitler. Sure. Demonic. And as they were and as they should be, again, in every simulation, all hung by the neck till they're dead. But 12 million, that's nothing compared to Mao. And it's not that Mao is a one-off. What about Stalin? What about Pol Pot? It goes on and on and on. In one century, between 1900 and 2000, for 100 million people died under communist socialist regimes. That just doesn't... Tom Brady has six or seven Super Bowl rings. There are other quarterbacks that have two and three. 
there are most quarterbacks have none. It is definitely admirable to have three Super Bowl rings. But no one in their right mind would talk about a three Super Bowl winner as the epitome of what football should be. Now you'd go, hey, why are you talking about him? Tom Brady has double that. If you're gonna if you're gonna talk about skyscrapers, the Empire State Building is 1,250 feet tall. That's impressive. The Burj Khalifa is 2,800 feet tall. There's no point in comparing if you're gonna use one as an example for whatever it is you're talking about, football aptitude or the height of a building, you use the bigger one. No one ever brings up. So if we're talking oh, about people, no one talks. I get where you're going because by that standard, why do we say Hitler, not Stalin or Mao? Let's go with Mao. I've just been reading a book on the famine that that Mao induced. Yeah, the Great Leap Forward. Forty million people killed, but yeah, you just hear the word killed, and it kind of glides by. You don't really get it. But this book talks about how it's called Mao's famine, and uh, yeah, he he was mad that people weren't collectivizing fast enough, and so he he did the same thing that Stalin did. He sold their grain leaving them to starve with the result that there were villages that would go on raiding parties against other villages to cannibalize their children. Yeah. Desperate people do extraordinarily desperate things. Yeah. I mean, cannibalism was alive and well in Mao's. Yeah. Under, and, and by the way, similar things happened in, I think I'm pronouncing it right. The Ukraine, the Holodomor. Holodomor. Yeah. Holodomor. And it actually does some bad things here and there, but it's nothing like that. But so we look back, and it's not even like we're talking about ancient man, where it was like, you know, in ancient Egypt, you would, you know, slit a slave's throat to sacrifice him to Osiris. And it's evil, but there's also this whole thing of like the wheel was a relatively new invention. And it was, it, it just, you're so disconnected where it's not even, you know, when you look at like a picture from like the late 1800s versus like the 1930s and one of them's black and white and one of them's color, the color one just feels light years closer, even though they, they're only separated by 20, 30 years. And then you look back and then there's oil paintings of like Renaissance, but it's, you look back to Egypt and it's just like strange hieroglyphics carved in stone, like Sumerian cuneiform. You look back at all that and you kind of, yeah, well, if, what were you gonna? Of course, you were gonna sacrifice a slave to Osiris. You needed the crops to grow. Like it, it, it kind of, you, it, you kind of accept it. This all happened. This all happened when like internal combustion cars are a thing. Like, Biplanes existed. Radio. It, how, it how just Mao's, happened. Mao's famine. It went from, I think, fifty-eight to sixty-two. 40 million dead. I mean, that's in my lifetime and pretty close to your lifetime. In, in that time frame, you could also take a pressurized airliner across the ocean in a first-class ticket. That's how right there it was. It's right there. But we have this idea that it'll never happen again because that was ancient Egypt. Yeah, you're right. We're probably not going to start sacrificing people to Osiris to make the crops grow. I would imagine that's a safe bet. This, and not only is it right there, it's happening now. Like today, Monday, June 27th, 2022, at 4.44 p.m. Eastern time. It's happening now in China and North Korea. 
right now, but we still have this, who knows, maybe, maybe socialism is the, is the, the apex predator of institutions because despite being so evil, it still manages to glide right under the radar. Maybe it's the ultimate shark. It's just, it is the most alpha evolved machine. It can kill everyone. It's still right here today. And we go, no, the biggest problem is uh, misinformation on YouTube. Who knows? Maybe. Actually, I, <clears throat> here's what I can't put together. In this country, somebody's all upset about being misgendered. And you know, when, when, when there are people like the Uyghurs, millions of people being having their organs harvested to, to maintain the industry of, of organ tourism, harvesting. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what's with Americans that, that we can, that in the public square, people are paying attention to trans bathrooms or being misgendered. When Maybe it's a self feedback loop of, we created a system so good that we made wealth so accessible that we had nothing else to do but create problems like misgendered. Who knows? Maybe socialism keeps it real. <laughs> hey, you know, whether it's a thousand years ago or today, you're going to fight for that potato. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this is the natural. Maybe if you run this simulation a million times, maybe this is always the outcome. You create a system so good that it spoils itself. Actually, I've seen my, my particular thing that I write about and speak about most often is family dynamics, particularly business families, and the number of families that do very, very well economically and then tear themselves apart over petty stuff. It's, it's legendary. 70% of business families won't make it to the next generation, and it's because they're quarreling. And what are they quarreling over? Well, it, it almost makes me think of the British royal family. Uh, Harry and Meghan are, are quarreling over, are, are quarreling with their, with his father over. You know, my allowance should be bigger. What you're going to, you're you're going to trash your whole family publicly over the size of your allowance? I saw a great conspiracy. It goes, Harry and Meghan moved to the United States so they can have a child born in the United States and be an American citizen. That child will be groomed to grow up to be a president, and he will then dismantle the United States. Britain will have the last laugh from 1776. <laughs> okay, I like it. I By like the way, in, in the little bit of time that we've had left, or that we have left, um, I would like to talk about my latest book, which comes out yes, on the 3rd of July. Yes, ma'am. Please take it, it away. All right, it's on Mark Victor Hansen. And you may or may not be familiar with that name, but I guarantee that you're familiar with the books that he wrote. He is the, uh, the co-author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. And what I got to do is I got to interview at least 65 different people on what it took to be the success that he became. Because there, there was a large period of his life where just from book sales alone, he was making $6 million a year. Uh, even to this day, you, if, if you choose to book him for three talks, uh, he'll give you a package for a quarter of a million dollars. I mean, can you even imagine success in that scale? 
Okay, so how did he do it? Well, I know because I interviewed him and all these other people. And he started out somewhere around age 26, bankrupt, considering suicide, um, was so negative about everything that people didn't want to be around him. I mean, he, he would just gobble up all the, all the bad news that you could get. And, um, you know, this, this is not a promising start for somebody who became an extraordinary success. And so what happens? And what did happen was there he is broke. He's, he's crashing at, in the house owned by four friends and he's sleeping outside his friend's bedroom door on the floor, completely unable to sleep thinking, you know, do I want to live or not? And then, and then, I think I won't tell you the rest. Why not? Yeah, oh, no, okay, I'll tell you the rest. Okay, so in, in complete despair, uh, you know, with just nothing left to call on, uh, he prayed. By the way, he, and to this day, he meditates every single day. But in this case, uh, he asked God, uh, what am I here for? What's my destiny? What, what do you want me to do with my life? I'm, you know, I'm bankrupt. I lost all my friends. I don't have a place to stay. And he felt that this answer came to him. And the answer was in the form of a question. What do you really, really, really want to do? This is, this is the voice somewhat like God speaking to him. And so he looked for an answer. And he came up with what I really want to do is I'd like to be a speaker. I'd like to be a writer. I want to talk with people about things that really matter so that I can help make their lives better. Well, for the first time in months, he was able to sleep. Oh, the next morning, oh, he asked, he, you know, he's decided his life's plan is clear. He wants to be a speaker. And he, he found somebody who would be a mentor and the first three months, he was giving four speeches a day. He'd, he'd go to the different rotaries. He'd, he'd just practice, practice, practice until he got really good at it. And with Chicken Soup for the Soul, which has sold half a billion books, Jeez. it was turned down 144 times. You know, publisher after publisher, they, they said, you know, nobody wants a series of, of upbeat mushy stories but his attitude was no the world needs this these are redemptive stories these are stories that will encourage people and give them the inspiration to keep on and not give up well the 145th publisher and by the way this is after 14 months of trying to get a publisher and his agent fired him said you know you'll never get anywhere with this book um and that was after like 30 turndowns Anyway, the 145th did agree to, to publish it. And Mark told him, we're going to sell a million and a half books. And the publisher said, um, no, you're going to sell 20,000. And when it first came out, if, if it's a bestseller, you'd really like to have 5,000 books sold that first week. You know, when all the burst of publicity and everything is happening, it sold 80. So how did it go from 80 to selling 15 million a year? And the answer is absolutely unremitting effort. He'd, uh, he'd give like 
five radio broadcasts a day. And then on top of that, they'd give speeches um, and just bit by bit, gnawing away at this, he went from, you know, a good week being 80 sales to finally 15 million a year. But it's, it's a story of just relentless effort and complete unwillingness to say no. And I asked him, what did you say when, you know, number 134, 135, and 136 told you no? And he said, every time I heard a no, in my mind, I was spelling out N-E-X-T. Next. He, he just absolutely wouldn't give in. But the world would be such a different place if he had given in at the 144th turn down. So when is my podcast going to break and actually get some notoriety? Mark didn't hit his stride until he was in his 50s and he started at age 26. <sighs> so there. Didn't, didn't, want, didn't want to hear that. On the other hand, he wasn't doing all that badly. I mean, he 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 was. And it, well, here's an interesting thing: in his late forties and his fifties, he hit the peak of the two things that he was aiming for. He was the world's bestseller and author of nonfiction, and he was also acknowledged pretty much by everybody as the top speaker in the inspirational field. So the two things that he had been trying for all his life. Finally reached them, but he still wasn't where he wanted to be because he had had a 27-year marriage that ended horribly. And you know, Freud says that you want to be happy and complete. You you need both work and love, and the love had totally eluded him. And here's where meditation comes in. He figured that you know his life was empty. And so he began meditating on what he really wanted in a relationship. And he wrote down you know, like more than a hundred things that he wanted in the woman of his dreams. And he just visualized her. And you know, every day that went by, his, his attitude was, well, I'm one day closer to meeting her. And then one day he did, and that was eight years ago. And he's been just, I think it was eight years ago. He's been blissfully happy ever since. So now he's got it all. But with a lot of, let's see, bankruptcy thoughts of suicide, lawsuits, uh, friendships that turn sour. I mean, his, his life is extraordinarily successful after getting past a whole lot of hurdles. So although I have all of my own grandiose plans, I should, I should pull back my question, not to when is it? You know, because I want this to be the biggest podcast ever. I would like to find love. I'd like to find a ton of money. I'd like to kind of break, uh, uh, revolutionize mental health. I have a million big things I want to do. I guess I should. That will, I have no, I have no doubt that will take decades. When will the podcast, because I need, let's see. I think like bare minimum, I could probably live on like, if I really stretched it, probably like $30,000 a year. Right now, when I say the podcast makes it, when will it because to date let's see on rumble how much i have made to date i mean i've been on rumble for two years but i really only started utilizing it last september when i got banned from youtube so from september till june 27th 2022 
in total, I've made four hundred twenty-eight dollars. All right, that's it's it's four hundred twenty-eight dollars more than nothing. On Spotify, I've been on Spotify since April twenty twenty. It is June twenty twenty-two. I've made five hundred seventeen dollars combined. I've made nine hundred and forty-five dollars and fifty-nine cents. How how about Patreon? Patreon. Patreon. Uh, the reason I don't use that is because I think to get my podcast bigger, it's like a Tim Dillon. I think Tim Dillon's the funniest man alive. He makes two hundred fifty thousand dollars a month on Patreon. He puts out one episode a week on YouTube and one on Patreon. I think he's the funniest man alive. That he can pull that. No one else can. I look at. Joe Rogan. So I look at Tim Dillon and part of me goes, if he just put it all out for free, he'd probably have a bigger following. He's also the, he's like Tom Brady. He can pull, he can pull, he has the chips. He can, he has leverage. I then look at the Joe Rogan approach. He's never charged anything for any of his episodes. It's always been accessible to anybody, whether you're in billionaires row in Manhattan or whether you're in rural India. If you have an internet connection, you can find it for free. Download the whole library, almost 2,000 episodes, three hours each. And Tim Dillon, although making, he's made like 2 or $3 million off Patreon. Joe Rogan also penned a, a, a check for $100 million. And so is much bigger. Joe Rogan. So my logic is I could go for like silver or I could go for gold. Go for gold. And my podcast is still, if Joe Rogan right now decided every third episode was on Patreon, he'd pull a lot of people to Patreon. I'm not even on YouTube. <laughs> so part of me is like, it takes some delusion to start demanding money for my episodes. So right now I'm very much in a, just throw all the seeds into all the dirt and hopefully it lands somewhere. But in two years on two platforms, Spotify and Rumble, I have not yet made a month's worth of rent. So when I say the podcast makes it, I'm not even talking about I'm a I'm a billionaire and I'm building mental health research facilities and I'm doing X, Y, and Z. I mean, I'm paying for rent. And then if I get lucky, I'll make enough for utilities. And then after that, maybe enough for, maybe, maybe if I made 2000 that's what I need, $2,000 a month. That's my question to you, Mitzi, with your crystal ball. Is when is that going to... I'm okay with waiting 30 years to be Mark Victor Hansen. That's cool. I get it. You got to do the grind. Respect. You got to put in your... You got to put in the dues. I'm looking at like the bottom of... What's that? What, Maslow? I'm looking at the bottom of the pyramid. <laughs> Shelter. Yeah. The you door still, locks. You still lock. have to eat. Yes. And I'm fine. I'm fine with that. That's what I mean. When will the podcast succeed? I'm cool with grinding for three, four, five decades. I get it. I, I don't think it's that because I also think that, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of podcasts. I've, I, I've even, there's something called PodFest and I've even lectured on PodFest of what makes a good podcast. I don't have one, so I'm allowed to do that. I think, I think you're past Joe Rogan. I, I think you have a broader data bank to, to draw on than he does. I think you're better at analogies. Um, I, I, I think your future is unlimited. Um, and who knows when, when the next big break will happen. 
it's kind of like the what's like the toy dun 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 you know you're cranking it and then it pops out yeah that's what i try to tell myself is not that it's bound for failure and that's why it hasn't worked yet i i allow myself a little bit of delusion and i go to go back to tim dillon before he was rich there's an episode of him telling someone else how to do comedy he goes he goes uh you're gonna have to tell yourself that you are good and you are worth money even though it's delusion and it is and you'll need that drug to get through it (laughs) so if part of me goes it has it's the reason why i still can't you know pay rent with it isn't because it sucks i allow myself just a little bit of fantasy and i go not enough that i go i don't have to do any episodes because it's just going to work you still have to put in the just blind work ethic just wear yourself down to the bone well then then chicken soup for the soul story i know i know um, i mean everybody told they in your case you're different from mark victor henson because in the case of mark victor henson and chicken soup for the soul all the publishers were telling him, you know, it's no good. Nobody will like it. The t- title is dumb. Uh, you at least have people telling you that you're good. I do. I do. But the landlord doesn't take video clips of me having friends tell me I like your podcast. As as my, as proud as I think they would be of me because my landlord likes me. I think she still uses U.S. dollars. So that's my my sort of like red pill, where as much as I try to stay as optimistic as I can, there's also like a, I live in a physical reality. The lights do turn on and off. The microphone can go off. It can go on. I am a carbon-based life form that needs protein, fat, carbohydrates, and assortment of vitamins and minerals and cofactors. I have to sleep. The door has to lock. I hate it. Trust me. I hate it. I wish it was. I wish I could live. Okay, just... but, but again, Mark Victor Hansen getting turned down so many times. And then once when it worked, oh my God. I mean, it will just be the best ride. It'll be the best experience ever. And by the way, he was getting $6 million a year back in, we're talking uh, the early 1990s, which is probably like $12 million a year today. How old is he in the 1990s? How old is he now? He's, I think he's 74. So told about 22 years and at 32 years, so of course it'd be what, 42, seven yeah. to 42 is oh, I still, a, I still, a, it's still 15 years. I'm 31. Yeah. But how about you're smarter and more articulate and I think more driven. I also don't need 12 million a year. I need 24,000. Well, I don't know with Biden's inflation, I probably need 12 million. Yeah, I think of the Charles, do you know Charles Bukowski? Uh, that author? It's dead. What, what, what has he written and why is the name familiar? I think he was a poet. I haven't actually read any of his stuff. I just well, know if he's, he's a poet, a, I haven't read him. Yeah, yeah, I don't know when he died. I don't know, maybe in like the 90s. Maybe he died last year, I don't know. But he was this, this uh, womanizing, misogynistic, alcoholic deadbeat that worked at a post office. And he would just drink himself blind drunk every night. It was just a grumpy, just disgusting, just pig, wake up, you know, face in the refrigerator or something. And, uh, but he still wrote poetry every night. And a lot of it was terrible. And I don't think he, until he was in his 50s, 
that he someone finally like picked it up and they're like hey like I, I can't guarantee you anything you might not get any money if you quit your post office job you might starve and he looked around he basically looked at his job in the middle of nowhere some podunk town drinking whiskey every night and he's like you know starving might not be that bad and then he, I think he became like a multi multi-millionaire and enjoyed it for like a decade or so until he died wow. but yeah but he has a quote about like i think it's called like roll the dice or something and it's basically like if you're gonna go for it go all the way you will experience isolation heartbreak your friends and family will abandon you you'll sleep on a bench if you're lucky you might end up in prison you'll go hungry but when it works and it will work it'll be better than anything you can imagine and then the quote i always it's actually the quote i have it's if you go look on spotify it'll say like in your about me i just have one sentence and it's you will ride you will ride life into perfect laughter it's from that poem he says two things he goes when it works, you will be alone with the gods and the nights will rage with fire. Because he, was he wasn't married. He said he just he would sit up at night and just think to himself, alone in his house, I can't believe this worked. I'm a millionaire. And you will ride life into perfect laughter. And there's another line from it. I'm, I'm going to have to read it to you. And then I know we got to wrap this up. But the, and then it's a... Uh, it's the only it's it's the only good fight. I'll, let me read it to you real quick because I'm butchering it now, and now I'm getting myself all amped, amped up. Actually, I, I I've certainly read it on. I mean, because I go to Spotify and then I go to Tommy's uh, page, and then I read that, and then I look for whoever's most recent. Roll the dice by Charles Bukowski. If you're going to try, go all the way. Otherwise, don't even start. If you're going to try, go all the way. This could mean losing girlfriends, wives, relatives, jobs, and maybe your mind go all the way. It could mean not eating for three or four days. It could mean freezing on a park bench. It could mean jail. It could mean derision, mockery, isolation. Isolation is a gift, but all the others are a test of your endurance, of how much you really want to do it. And you'll do it despite rejection and the worst odds. And it'll be better than anything else you can imagine. If you're going to try, go all the way. There is no other feeling like that. You will be alone with the gods and the nights will flame with fire. Do it, do it, do it, do it all the way, all the way. You will ride life straight into perfect laughter. It's the only good fight there is. I fucking love that That's so much. It gets me jacked up. I... No, it's perfect. It's just perfect. It's the, o- it's the only good fight there is. So yeah, you know, self-respect. What, what, what's the price? It's the only good Pay fight there is. Pay anything for it. You could get it if you dyed your hair blue and put up a communist flag. No, that's, but that's not. But that's not. But that's not. Yeah, that's. You won't be alone with the gods. You won't ride straight into perfect laughter. You'll probably shoot yourself. Yeah, no. I want the. That poem gets me so amped up. I want to go like hit a punching bag now. Yeah. I'm up. Well, I love this visit. <sighs> Thank you, Doctor Purdue, for my therapy sessions, as you often provide me. <laughs> so. Thank you for that. Right, well, until next time. Yes, ma'am. Miss Mitzi Purdue, I'll put all the links to all of your good stuff in the description as always. And as always, Mitzi, I love you so much. Thank you for and coming. I absolutely ahead. adore you. And, you know, when you're rich and famous, please remember your friends. I'll remember you. I will remember everybody. Unless, of course, I move to North Korea and become a dictator and climb to the top. 
that's also oh well that, that has its appeal too you guys can join me my my okay, loyal my loyal way. crew tell me either way i'm in okay <laughs> all right mitzi <laughs> i love you stay safe everybody god bless thank you so much mitzi i that this actually really helped me thank you so